I'm Jordan Rodrigue from The Athletic, the host of a new narrative podcast called The Play Callers, a series about innovation, competition, and even self-destruction within the NFL's youngest coaching family. The Play Callers will take listeners inside some of the brightest minds in football like you've never heard them before. Featuring exclusive interviews with Kyle Shanahan, Sean McVay, Matt LaFleur, Mike McDaniel, and many others. The entire series will be out on Monday, July 10th on the Athletic Football Show podcast feed. Find it wherever you get your podcasts. In today's episode of the Sixers Beat, Rich and I go over the Sixers' disappointing loss in Game 6. Going over everything from the Celtics inserting Robert Williams into the starting lineup and how that impacted the Sixers' offense, what they can do to attack the two-big lineup in Game 7, what caused the offensive stagnation down the stretch, and how we think Game 7 will play out. It's not over yet. Enjoy the podcast. All right, welcome everybody. This is Derek Bodner, joined by Rich Hoffman on the Sixers Beat, a part of the Athletics Podcast Network. You know, they they had a a golden opportunity to do something they hadn't done, not only in the Joel Embiid era, not only Doc Rivers since 2013, the last time he got out of the second round, he was ironically with the Boston Celtics, but something the franchise hadn't done in 22 years, the entire lifespan of Sixers Adam. How you doing, Rich? Derek, I'm doing fine. It is a uh, it's a depressing morning in Philadelphia, though. I, I have to say. Oh, I guess it's the afternoon now. It is. Uh, we actually because you know, we we were going to have a podcast there after game you know after game five when six took a three two lead. Rich went no 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 no. Things are too optimistic. We've got to wait a little longer and see if we can get back to our comfort zone. <laughs> yeah, and you know I guess we'll talk a little bit about the other games as well. Uh, because the Sixers have earned their way to a Game 7. But I think it's bigger than that. It's bigger than 22 years. It's like they could win the freaking finals if they win this series. And they had a chance at home. All they had to do was win two out of three games at home against these guys. And look, I don't want to say all they had to do. It wasn't like they were handed those two road wins that they earned. They took them. But look, like that has a chance to be one of the biggest missed opportunities in the history of this franchise. There's just no other way to put it. Game seven, if you win. And by the way, I'm not going complete doom and gloom for game seven because there, there is nothing I have seen from the Boston Celtics that makes me trust them to play well two games in a row. I mean, they didn't really even play that well last night. So maybe, maybe they will play better, but look like they had a, a great chance, an unbelievable opportunity in front of them that they earned and they played their worst offensive game of the year. It's it's really it's, it's tough stuff, man. <laughs> yeah. No, to your point, Clean Glass had them at, what was it, a 90-point whatever offensive rating, 90.5, 90.3, something in that sort. That was tied for their worst. In terms of half-court offense, they averaged 73 points per 100 plays. That was their worst. Not only was it their worst, but the next closest game was four points better than that. That was far and away their worst showing. Uh, and that, 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 you know, half-court offense is like first shot, half-court offense. That's why it says play is not possession, but it doesn't matter. It was really fucking bad. They've played 92 games, man. 92. They played a lot. And in they the most important game, they had their worst offensive show. And they played 92 games, and some of them came without Joel Embiid. Some of them came without James Harden. A month and a half came without Tyrese Maxey. And none of those games were as bad as what we saw last night. 
Now, brutal, brutal. <laughs> something that needs to be acknowledged. Like this is the second best defense in the league that was playing, you know, for their lives. Like this is not a, you know, random game in January. But because of that, you have to execute. And I guess we can sort of start off there. And I do sort of want to get into, you know, games four and five because those were yep. monumental wins. And I joked that, you know, we we waited until they lost to make a podcast. Not true. We enjoy talking about wins, too. It's just when they're playing, you know, game day travel, game day travel, game day. Like, it was tough to fit one in. I, I apologize for that. I really do. I would have liked to have talked about those two wins more because they were incredible to be at. I've never seen the Boston Garden crowd react the way that they did there in game four. Uh, they just completely sucked the life out of them. It was crazy. Or game five, I mean. Game five. Getting my games confused. Doesn't matter. And then game but, four. I mean, Harden, a virtuoso performance. Just yeah. pulling victory from the jaws of defeat. Unbelievable moment. Marcus Smart late with the jump. I mean, unbelievable. They earned their way to the opportunity they had last night. And here's the other thing about last night as we get into the bad stuff. I thought the Sixers played really freaking hard on defense, defense last yep. night. I thought they were awesome. I just rewatching this game up and down the lineup. I thought Tobias, who was awful offensively, made yep. some awesome defensive plays. Yep. I thought Harden, who was awful offensively, made some awesome defensive plays. Joel, I mean, unbelievable. Obviously, he's good every night defensively. The, the plays he makes are, are jaw-dropping. Unbelievable, yeah. Unbelievable. George Niang, stopping yeah. Jason Tatum yeah. on a possession. Tyrese Maxey, stripping Jalen Brown of the ball, getting a clear path foul. Uh, Ed Malloy and David Guthrie don't know the rules, apparently. So uh, Joel makes two free throws, and then Tyrese has to make them again. But my point is— That was incredible. And that like that was only 30 seconds of game time. That felt like that was at least five to ten minutes. Like So much time went by, and you're like, oh, by the way, you, come over here, shoot these two free throws that Joel already made. I am the last person to blame the officials, and I am not going to blame them for the Sixers' poor execution. I really don't think any of those guys should ref a finals game. Like you've got to at like least that. know the rules. That's not like a oh I missed that or oh like I I, I didn't see a you know a hand check or whatever. That's like I didn't know the rules and I didn't know that the person who was fouled had to be the one to go take the clear path. How do you not know that? How do you not know that? I Ed Malloy missing that that challenge that Doc oh, went with, which probably awful, awful. wasn't like a a great challenge from an EV standpoint. But I get it where you're just disgusted by it and you're like, all right, we're gonna get the ball back at least. Yeah. Awful. And then, you know, like the Marcus Smart push at the end, like he two hand shoves Maxi and gets a timeout when he barely has the ball. I don't know. I, I just thought they were were really freaking bad all night. Now, I think like the Harden complaints about grifting for fouls, I don't actually buy those ones. Yeah. But I, I thought those guys completely lost control of the game. Anyway, my point is with the Tyrese Maxi steal that I was getting to, I thought the Sixers defense was awesome. I thought they played really hard. Look, they got a little bit fortunate. You see, like Jason Tatum makes some shots at the ends, and, and he missed a bunch at the beginning. So th there is an element of you're kind of relying on them to miss shots. But I thought the Sixers were awesome, and they just needed a slightly below average offensive game. And we're talking about one of the great triumphs in recent franchise history. Here. Can, you, can you imagine how, how, the, like, how sports radio talk, how this podcast would be going if they won three games in a row to beat the Boston Celtics in the second round of the playoffs? Like they would be getting every accolade in the world. So and I guess, I, and I thought they were going to do it because I thought they were going to out tough them. Like they clearly didn't have a great offensive game. They're up 83, 81 with like four minutes left in the game because they were tougher and they just freaking mm -hmm. fought on defense. And then let's get into it. 
and by the way, if they would have pulled that out, I think they would have deserved every accolade they yes. were getting. Like that, that winning three in a row against that Boston team, including the one up in Boston, would have been an incredible accomplishment to come back from two to one down. And I'm trying to take sort of like a step back here and not get too caught up in the moment of last night because I do think, by and large, this series has gone pretty well. For the, I mean, they're forcing a game seven. When I said before the series, I picked them in six and I thought, eh, you know, it might really be five, but I'm trying to be optimistic here. And nobody's going to care that they exceeded expectations if they lose in seven, but they still have a chance. And I don't know exactly what that percent chance is. We can get into that, I guess, towards the end. But there have been three explanations sort of offered out there for why their offense was so bad. Shooting, you know, they ended up shooting eight for 34 from three. I think they made three above break threes all night. That's one. Uh, The other is ball movement and execution. That was one that Doc Rivers really brought up. Got to trust our stuff. Got to trust our teammates, trust our plays. Didn't think there was any ball movement. And the third was the lineup change that the Celtics had, bringing Robert Williams into the starting lineup, letting him roam off the ball and playing two bigs. What do you think was the biggest factor of those three? I I think it's pretty much equal. I I think it's 33% for all of them. Yeah. It's, and look, after the game, the Sixers talked about missing shots. And if they shoot normally from three, again, make or miss league. Celtics were were bad offensively, but unfortunately for the Sixers, they did make a decent amount of threes. Yep. If the Sixers just shoot their normal percentage on threes, despite the poor execution and ball movement, despite not handling that too big lineup well at all, they win the game. They win the game. And, you know, we can look at the fourth quarter. I mean... Melton has three wide open three. What, what are we doing? Yeah. He has three wide open threes, and he's shooting curveballs. Like, he's not even yep. close on them. Yeah. PJ has a couple of wide open threes, which, again, Boston is giving up, and we'll, we'll get to him in a sec. Those are, are pretty good shots. And then he, he passes up on another one and throws it back to Harden for a terrible ISO, and it's like, all right, well, that's a record scratch, and yep. and that's that's your fault, PJ. Um, that Tyrese, is honest. Go ahead. I'm sorry. Tyrese had a couple too, where, you know, he shoots three of nine. He had great looks the entire night and he couldn't have a good night. What what were you going to say about? I was just going to say like PJ ended up shooting seven threes in 20 minutes. That's great. But first of all, he only made two. That kind of hurts, but it's the record scratch that absolutely killed me because every time he doesn't take a three, it ends up like a, you know, like I always say two dribbles, a kick out to Harden with eight seconds left on a shot clock and then an ISO and a bad shot because it takes Harden five seconds to get into his step back because Harden needs five seconds to get a guy off balance. It's never a good outcome when Tucker passes on the, the three. And, and even the- on a night when he takes seven of them, it's still like, like, dude, you're, you're killing, you're killing him. You're killing him. And that was the play where, uh, where Harden late ISO tries to go past, I think it was Jalen Brown and Horford made a good rotation. And I will say during the end of that game, there were like three or four plays where I thought Boston whether it was smart or Horford made like an awesome late rotation to screw the Sixers up. And you do have to shake their hand a little bit. They played really well. It's like you said, playing for their lives. But yes, there are possessions throughout the game where you look at those, those mountain threes. And I think Harden was, was miserable for the most part. He made some really good passes on those mountain threes. He made the right call on a lot of them. Yeah. All three of them. Yeah. Or I guess one of them was from an Embiid uh, elbow iso, but I don't know. You know, he, when he's finding Maxi in the corner for they're helping off the corner and he's finding Maxi for a, a three, like that's as much as you want to get on James, that's, that's the right decision. It's, yeah. a, it's a good job. Uh, so 
I think that was part of it. Like, their shooting was absolutely miserable. It was as bad as it could have been. been. And that's tough. Like, I, I, you know, it's part of it. But you don't get to your worst offensive performance of the season by just shooting poorly. The execution and the personnel has to be bad. And that's where, you know, I kind of think the other two things you mentioned— the two big lineup and the uh, the ball movement, the trust, as Doc Rivers called it, was um, was lacking, right? Yeah. No, I mean, when Boston makes a move like that and they bring in uh, Robert for that second big defender, they're conceding those corner threes. They're conceding those outside shots so they can overplay the pocket pass and so they can take off, you know, stop Harden from getting all the way to the rim, especially when Harden has won two games by scoring 40-plus points. You saw a very... A lot less aggression from James Harden at the rim last night. And a lot of that, especially real early, he just had Robert Williams right there to meet him every time. And if you're going to run them out of that, you've got to make those open corner threes that they're basically conceding. And the Sixers came out and their first bucket was on a P.J. Tucker three. And you went, all right, maybe this will end up working out a little bit. But that was the only point they scored there in the first four minutes of that game. They're one of 11 to start. Yeah, real bad. (laughs) Not great. Uh, some some decent looks that they didn't make, but I thought as the game wore on, they just sort of became a little bit more indecisive. And then eventually that led to, you know, late clock and bad shots and not no ball movement. And it just, I thought it really became obvious with uh, Harden at the beginning and it just sort of trickled down from there. And, you know, when Harden shoots four for 18 and when the role players aren't making threes, there just aren't that many great ways to generate offense. And they didn't find a single one of them. Look, Doc Rivers before the game said we expected the two big lineup. I think that's true. Like, I think we all kind Did of you find it weird that they that Boston leaked what they were going to do. You don't see that very often. I don't think it matters. I don't think it matters either, but like maybe I'm, we've just been coaching Doc too long where he's like, nah, I'm not telling you who's starting for Joel Embiid. Uh-uh, you can't have that information. And they're like leaking a major lineup change. It was weird. It threw me off guard. Could have been, you know, one player on the team. Just I don't know what Choms and, and Jared's sources are, but, you know, whatever. It, it was a little weird, but look, it was expected. They were going to do it. Um, and Doc said that they were prepared for it and they they weren't. <laughs> no. They weren't prepared for it. And uh, look, I, I think moving forward, I mean, in game seven, they're going to start that lineup. There's no question. Uh, I think you have to look really hard at starting George Niang or DeAnthony Melton. And I, I look, I think PJ, his moment, let, let's, let's praise PJ for a minute here. His offensive board at the end of game four, him psyching up Joel, that is exactly why you brought him here. Yep. That is worth the contract. It, and if they end up winning this series, what we'll remember won't be his his you know game six performance. It will be the way he motivated Joe. It will be that offensive rebound. It'll be some of the defensive rotations that he made there. Awesome in game five. Game five, he was tremendous defensively. Just so unbelievably smart and great. Um, so look, this is not to uh, terrain on PJ here. Uh, unfortunately, they played a card that I think makes playing him untenable against those lineups. It, it really does, and. You know, I look at those, you should go back. Like, I know a lot of people look at the missed shots. You look at those first five minutes of the first quarter, first three minutes of the third quarter, they're trying to get pocket passes to Embiid, and Horford is standing there and saying, I dare you to drive on Robert Williams because you have P.J. Tucker in the dunker spot or in the corner, and we don't give a shit about him. 
Yeah, and I even, think that even has... the, the dunker spot was was just as bad. For, I think it was the first possession of the game. Harden tried to throw that real tough bounce pass to PJ. First of all, that was a bad pass. It wasn't getting through. Second of all, even if it gets through, what's what's PJ going to do with that? But that's sort of like the when they're cutting off the driving lane with Robert Williams, when they're cutting off that pocket pass with Al Horford, that's sort of what you're left with. And that's not good offense for the Sixers. In um, I don't have the number specifically in front of me, but I think in 19 minutes, Boston's mm-hmm. too big lineup 105 offensive rating, 80 defensive rating, yep. which is kind of amazing. They only, as good of a transition team as that, they only had a 105 offensive rating after forcing all of those misses. Yep. So, look, Sixers I think the Sixers shot 13 for 34 from the field, 3 for 11 from 3 in those 19 minutes. Boston only played that lineup, uh, or at that lineup combination, those two players together, six minutes the entire series before then. Yeah, and, and by the way, I heard from some people on Twitter like, oh, man, they're, they're just getting so many threes against that lineup. No, they're not. 11 threes in 19 minutes is not a lot. That's Do the math on that. Like, <laughs> We're talking about, you know, that's like 30 a game. That's that's not a ton. Um, and, and I think the Sixers were not prepared for that. And look, you saw early in the third quarter after they already dug a 10-point lead or a 10-point deficit, what do they do? They put George in the game, yep. and Boston changes their matchup up. Yep. They put Horford on Tobias. They put Tatum on George. Yep. Because you can't leave George. And they put Robert Williams on Embiid. And guess and what? Robert Williams is the matchup the Sixers want on Embiid. Guess what? Yep. And they want him defending pick and roll because, oh, pocket pass from Harden and Embiid. Then Harden gets an N1 because Jalen Brown and, and Robert Williams screw up the coverage. I, I think they're really going to have to look hard to that because as— as good as PJ has been, this card is, I, I don't know, I don't know if it's tenable against them. And uh, look, I think Doc, by and large, very, very good series. Like, he's done some good things. I, I think he's probably, on balance, slightly gotten the better of Missoula. Uh, I will say, he, he did not do a good job. They were not ready for that that double yep. big lineup. And uh, look, he has a chance to make it right in Game 7. He is a... He certainly got it on film and got to see what it looks like, but uh, that's disappointing. Like you know, if if they handle that line again, that that that's another thing. They don't even need to shoot better if they just handle the lineup better. If they are more organized and probably have George in the game a little bit earlier, those type of things, they probably win the game. And that is another part of it, you know. And, but and I also, guess the, like it would help if they would shoot better too. <laughs> it does. Yeah, I mean, it would, but they might shoot better if they have the right guys in the game against that lineup and. They might they might shoot better if they get pocket passes to Embiid, and it's like those those first couple minutes really hurt, you know. Yep. Uh, and then and then you said the third thing, the lack of execution and ball movement, and I I would say that the three possessions that stick out to me, just because like you don't want to boil it down to three possessions in an entire game, up eighty three eighty one with like four minutes left. They run a side pick and roll for Harden and Embiid, and they swing to Maxi. And Maxi like passes it out, and he ends up taking a very, very difficult step back three. Now, I want to give credit. I thought Marcus Smart made an awesome rotation on that play to get out to. I think it was Tobias in the corner. Like that was a nice play. Or who was it? Was it Melton? It was somebody in the corner. Uh, Maxi might have missed Tobias on that play. It's he probably had the drop off pass. It's it's not the easiest pass in the world to make, but he, he probably had it. Um. And then the next two possessions really bothered me, though. They they run a, a maxi pick and roll with Embiid. They throw it out to Harden with like 
10 on the shot clock and it's just a horrible iso like it's yeah. it's not on a switch it's against marcus smart it's a deep deep three it's not even like a yeah, his no, normal like a 28 footer and it's a bad shot it's a give up shot it's like a i'm tired our team is tired and we're not going to grind out and execute this possession and then the next one joe takes you know a pull up jumper on horford it's an okay shot like he can is make that the it the one where he came in pretty wildly yeah, but he's yeah. like flying in from, and, and they just. It's not his normal in rhythm, two steps, no. smooth. Yeah. And they missed all three of them. And guess what? You had the chance to grind out possessions at the end of that game. And you didn't. And and I think Jason Tatum, who was a disaster, who's been a disaster Complete for a lot disaster. of this series, frankly. Yeah. Which again, that's another reason that that loss stings. Because there's no guarantee he's going to be a disaster in, uh, in game seven. Uh. He got his shit together at the end of the game, and the Sixers didn't. And One for his first 14 for seven points. He ended up scoring 15 points in the fourth quarter, I think. Yeah, four for five the, from three. All of them threes. felt like daggers. And you just look at those possessions, and you just think, man, like, if you guys grind out possessions, if you get to that, like, like run hard and beat pick and roll in those possessions. Just do that. Yeah. And uh, they didn't do it. And so, look, it was a combination of things. It was... I thought their decision-making was bad. I, I didn't think they were fully connected offensively. But again, the two big lineups screwed them up, and it would be nice if they made an open shot because they didn't do it the entire night. And by the way, they could come out, start George, and get run off the floor by a very good transition team. Totally. In Boston, there's a, there's a, a risk there. But when you're able to take away the Sixers' bread and butter as effectively as Boston was to start last night's game, you got to try something. And that's sort of the problem with the roster construction. Some of these players, George and Yang, we thought was unplayable in the series. Now we're like, well, you got to start him. PJ Tucker, who was completely indispensable in game five, one small lineup tweak, and now he's unplayable in game seven. Not unplayable, but you're talking about benching him because his shooting makes him very tough to play. I mean, I'm talking about playing him 28 minutes, right? If they play that double talking big about 20 not minutes playing him against that. Two yeah. big lineup. Right? No, no, and and I think for the Sixers, it's it's a mix and match stitch, right? Because it's it's Boston's decision to play that lineup, and it's like, all right, you play Melder George in the in those yep. lineups, and then the second one of those guys hits a bench, PJ, come on in. Yep. Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner StubHub has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over twenty years, providing a one hundred percent guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. As you all know by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using the BetMGM lines to make all our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, Use the bonus code TA Basketball and you'll get a one year subscription to The Athletic. Plus, up to a $1,000 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code TA Basketball. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game. Claim your voucher for a one year subscription to The Athletic. 21 plus to wager. Visit betmgm.com for terms and conditions. 
U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Nevada, New York, and Ontario. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. In Colorado, D.C., Illinois, Indiana, Louisiana, Maryland, Massachusetts, New Jersey, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Tennessee, Virginia, West Virginia, and Wyoming. Call 1-877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-522-4700 in Kansas and Nevada. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. In partnership with Kansas, Crossing Casino and Hotel. In Ontario, if you have questions or concerns about your gambling or someone else close to you, please contact Connects Ontario at one 866 2600 to speak to an advisor free of charge sports betting is void in georgia hawaii and utah and other states where prohibited commercial offers not available in nevada and new york don't forget if you haven't signed up for bet mgm yet use the bonus code ta basketball and you'll get a one year subscription to the athletic plus up to a one thousand dollar first bet offer on your first wager but it's yeah yeah so i guess what are your your quick thoughts here for game seven like where are you rich hoffman feeling as uh we enter the well not the biggest game seven because we've had a couple of these recently but another game seven in the second round i think it's going to benefit the sixers that they have an extra day off yep i think i thought the other real thing is that joe just looks gassed at the end of these games and frankly harden looked looked gassed a little bit last night too i think getting harden you know 33 going on 34 year old man james harden a little bit of rest he tends to come out better when he has two days of rest and getting Embiid, who's you know still doesn't have his win back from uh, from that layoff, I think that will it'll benefit both teams, but I think it'll benefit the Sixers more. I think if the Celtics had their pick, they'd be playing this game on Saturday. Yeah, I agree. But look, and that's something we thought about the entire series is that the Sixers have the older legs; they have the the injured guy coming back, not having his win, and they've handled it really well. Like they just they did a really good job. Even coming off that overtime game, they play their best game of the series in Game 5 in Boston. Uh, but yes, watching Embiid at the end of these games, like, look, I, I get it. Like, I, I would, what did he play, like 42 minutes last night? I, yeah. I get it. Like, he's, he's the best player on the floor in Game 5, and, and B-Ball didn't, you know, he missed, again, B-Ball missing a layup is, is not great. B-Ball and Tobias, uh, I mean, Tobias in the first half, bro, just like, just insane. put the ball off the in the box, man. It's not that hard. And I thought Tobias's defense was great, but like, come on, man. <laughs> Got to make transition layups. He's not even. He's not even catching the ball on those plays. Uh, look, I, I do think the the day off benefits Sixers. I think it benefits them from a, a preparation standpoint. They can they can they're off today, so they can figure out like, okay, let's let's regroup and. Uh, you know, have something. I'm sure Doc and the the coaching staff are kind of just going to pour over the film and and try to figure out how to score against a double big lineup. And and look, I think Doc and the coaching staff have been good. Like I thought their their execution in Game Five of this series. Look, Boston. I don't know why they were playing that coverage, but the the cutting from the wing, those things, that was good. That was yep. good, and it helped. And the Sixers were really organized on that end. I think their their peel switching and shit on defense has been awesome. Uh, so that'll help. So that that's that's the big hope. And and I guess the other hope is and look, this has been true for the entire series. Game to game does not carry over. Now, the, the game to game not carrying over could mean the Sixers lose by a hundred on, on Sunday. But I, I don't think it means they're automatically going to lose another close game to Boston. Like it just we, we've watched these six games. I, it, winning on the yep. road is not hard for either of these teams either. Too. I, I understand. The idea of like, man, you got to win three in Boston is hard, but the, the Sixers clearly, like you said, 
that last game in TD Garden, that was unbelievable. They completely, that was like a Charlotte game. They like took them out of the crowd. It was, it was out of the game. It was wild. So uh, those are my disjointed thoughts. I think the, the day off will help and I'm not completely writing them off yet, but it's, it's going to be hard for sure. Yeah. No, I, it, it, look, I'm not going to talk you out of doom and gloom because these things are emotional. Like you had a golden opportunity to end this series and start preparing for the conference finals and they blew it and they should be criticized for it. But we're now at like the third or fourth time where a fan base has felt doom and gloom about the series. That's not how this works. You know, the Sixers, Boston fans probably felt doom and gloom after blowing game one without Embiid. Sixers fans after game three, suffering a blowout and then a close loss, probably felt doom and gloom. Boston after game five, Felt like the season was ending. They were talking about blowing up the Jays again and, you know, Missoula isn't ready for the moment and all this stuff. And now Sixers fans are back feeling doom and gloom. Well, only one team is actually going to be doomed after this series. It doesn't work like that. <laughs> the other team is probably going to be the favorites to win the title. So Yeah, at least the, the conference. The co-favorite sure. maybe with uh, with Denver. Denver's yeah. playing really well. They're playing awesome. They yep. overlook. Good for them. So... And we've seen teams bounce back from bad performances. We've seen teams adjust. We've seen, like you said, one thing not carry over to the next game. I could see any outcome coming out of Game 7. Boston could could run them off the floor. They could make a billion threes. Or Jake could go 6 for 35 and Sixers can win it going away. I could see legitimately anything. So I don't want to, if I were to give it a a percentage, 30, 35% chance Sixers win. Maybe something like that. You do give Boston a slight edge. In part because I think they're just the deeper, more complete team. In part because they're playing at home. But it's close. And it's closer than I thought coming into this series. I think the Sixers, like I said, have generally acquitted themselves pretty well, especially given all the uncertainty. That doesn't change the fact that if they don't win Game 7, that loss last night is going to freaking sting for a long time and going to define a lot of people. Perhaps more than it should, but there's been so many chances that they've had to close off these series. And to come up short every time, it's hey, mad. Yeah. But you're not there yet. You're not. There's there's a real well, chance. There's a real I, chance. I think you're bringing up a good point. Is that the history of this team? Hundred percent. The fact that they just can't win one of these series, they, or they haven't won one of these series. They can, because guess what? If they win one more game, just one. They will have won one of these coin flip series, one of these series against an elite opponent. But they haven't done it yet, and they had the chance to do it on their home court last night. I think. Part of the other reason, and, and I understand this too, for the Sixers who have been such a good home regular season team for such a long time, to have these series now, the Atlanta yeah. series, they lose three of four at home. Here they lose two of three. It's like you can't protect your home court. And yeah. look, it works the other way, right? They, they're two of three in Boston right now. So uh, they, they deserve a lot of credit for it. I think the big reason why I feel more optimistic about this group is that Joe is, is all over the place defensively. We, we yep. worried before the series. It's like, man, these guys are going to spread him out. He's going to be gimpy. He's going to be, and he's a little gimpy at times, but man, he's just, he's all over the place. I mean, game five, they were terrified to attack the rim. They, they really can't score on the half court against the yeah. Sixers. They're really struggling to do yep. that, which is, it's been pretty consistent for a while here. So, mm-hmm. You know, I think you saw that game one where they it was a layup line. You insert that dude into the game, it's completely changed the tenor of the series. It, it really has. And some of the blocks he's making, some of the rotations have been excellent. 
to the point where like I understand why he's guessed. You know, we we're seeing regular season Joe, even though he's hurt, it's not this. Like he's he's contesting every single shot, mm-hmm. flying all over the place, and it's really like it's awesome, awesome stuff. But um, you're gonna need it for one more game, and, and I, I think that's the hope, right? The hope is just. Figure out your stuff on the offense. Figure out that double big lineup. Hope DeAnthony makes some threes. Hope. And look, it's a lot of, when we look at this series, they don't win game one if Melton's not on fire in the first half. They don't win if that happens. So there's a lot of, like, I feel like we're almost at the right spot for this series because, you know, the Sixers got lucky. You're not lucky, but they executed in a couple of games. And realistically, last night, like, they could point to the three-point shooting variants and be like, damn, that did us in yeah. in that night. I'd love to see a version of this game play out where they come out and they make five of their first seven three threes and just see how both teams react to that change. You know, it, Does Boston run out of their um, two-big lineup because they're giving up too many threes? Do the Sixers keep attacking because they, they have that trust because the ball is going in? Does does Boston become less aggressive helping off of PJ if, if he makes a couple more? Interesting, within the realm of possibilities, but it didn't happen. Joel Embiid had just two shots in the final 520 of play, or at least before he got subbed out. No other statistic on the box score during that stretch. Said after the game um, that he thought he should have been more involved. I'm paraphrasing here, but that he should have gotten the ball more down the stretch. What do you make of his play here outside of just being tired? The, The problem was they were taking him away. I mean, they were taking... They would run pick and roll, and they would get those melt shots. They would get those uh, those Tucker threes or whatever. Now, look, I think one of the things they can do is, especially when there's only one big on the floor, they should post them up. I, they've had way more success with, with that than they've had in past years. Like, yeah. like Horford can't guard him. Uh, look, I think another a big thing, and he did it at the beginning of the— uh, of the first half, I, I think they probably should have pressed it a little more because Williams and Horford both had two fouls yep. relatively quickly into that game. And Horford really didn't want to get in foul trouble after that. Uh, he needs to be aggressive in posting up and trying to draw fouls on those guys because it's a lot of single coverage. And, and I, I think he could change the tenor of the game that way, like just, just putting a couple of uh, quick fouls on those guys. I mean, the end of the game, again, like I, I thought some of it was – they're running pick and roll and they're, they're getting good shots for other guys. And I'm not really complaining. It, it felt like when he got cooking early in the fourth quarter, uh, it was a lot of isos and it was a lot of like really slow bunch of dribbles type of plays. And I was like, eh, he's very good. Obviously it would be heroic if he got him over the, over the finish line. But I, I don't know. I like him at his best. Like we saw in game four where he's running pick and pop with Harden and, and Maxi, whether that's from the mid range or even the three point line, you know, it's either one is good. Uh, so yeah, I, I don't really know what to make of it. Like I, I, Doc even said that they should have played through him more, but I don't know. Some of those possessions are pretty good shots that that his teammates missed. So Jason Tatum five for twenty one, Al Horford one for five. Al has now made all but eleven of his last twelve shots over these last two games. <laughs> Hat tip, Tom Moore. Tough game to lose, man. It's a tough, tough game. And look, did Tatum miss some shots? Did Al Horford miss some open catch and shoot shots? Sure. Yes. They played very good defense there for much of that game. Like you said, not only, you know, Tobias, but 
George and Yang played some really good defense on Jason Tatum, the point where I was stunned, floored. You got to win that game. That's tough. Harden, That's Harden tough. played some great defense too. Three yeah. steals for him. He had the one, like, just like and excellent reach in play. Like, just really Maxie good. Maxi too. Maxi had a couple possessions where he moved his feet. And I get on Maxi a lot. A lot of his off ball or communication stuff. He's gotten better as a one on one defender. I'll give him that. And he's still got his shortcomings, uh, but he moves his feet pretty well. He's he's also realized too, and Doc, Doc mentioned this, that, yeah, he's going to get beat, but if he can attack the ball handler on that first dribble, like, he has a chance to slow them down. And I think yeah. Jalen Brown is the perfect example of that because Jalen Brown is awesome, but he can't dribble. And he needs to, like, get by Maxi, yep. which he can do, but I don't know. So, sir, no, I've been, I've been really impressed by Tyrese. He's been switched into a lot of bad situations in this series, and he's fighting really hard. So, yeah. I, I have, like, literally no complaints with their effort or defense level. Just, just none. I thought they were, were very good on that end last night. And that's the hope, right? They've been good for, for two games now. On that end. And frankly, they've been good for most for like, of the series. For most of the series, you know? When you, can, um, when you don't get killed in transition. You don't, when they're not getting beat in the first six seconds of the shot clock, they've been pretty good. That's the hope. I would have liked to have seen, I'm just going like random thoughts now, would have liked to have seen Doc maybe give Embiid a few more minutes on the bench there. You know, they went to Paul Reed with like a minute and a half left of the third quarter. I thought, great, maybe they can give Joe an extended stretch because we just saw what happened there in Game 5 where Embiid looked completely gassed in the fourth quarter. They ended up going back to Embiid with, I think, about a minute and a half into the fourth quarter. I know it's tough to do. I would have liked to have seen them extend that another minute or two, try to keep him a little more fresh down the stretch. I understand why you want to get your star back on the floor, though. Um, I agree. Harden was bad, unfortunately. That's the the other issue. And that's, like, Paul Reed wasn't good last night either i thought maybe they would try to go small it's tough to go small when boston's going with robert williams like you said at the game there's just no one who can match that lob threat but even just going small and forcing williams to defend in space on the other end but when harden's not good it's tough to it really saps away your options but but i agree with you like it he certainly was gassed by the end of that game uh the problem is he better get his rest the next couple of days because I don't think the answer is sitting him <laughs> in the final. Like, like I don't think the answer is okay, Joe. You're gonna We're play, gonna play 36 you 35 minutes, minutes yeah, yeah. tonight. No, uh, no, I, I'm not saying that. I'm saying maybe 39 instead of 41. Yeah, uh, given that it was a close game and you had the time to burn. But well, you also have to figure out the hard minutes, which is more like, hey, James, make a shot. You know, like, hey, you know, do some good things. Up. Oh, we should mention too. Uh, he didn't play with that well last night. Uh, Dan House in the one game in Game Five was yeah. unbelievable. Yep. Another one who played really good defense too. Besides the transition buckets he was getting, you besides the incredible short roll pass he had to what was that Melton Maxie. back in the day when he used to was that Maxi? Yeah. Just a real good Dan House game. Yeah, it was a tough one. I, I really, I really thought they were gonna, when it was eighty three, eighty one. They had the ball coming out of that clear path foul. I thought, I thought they had it. I really did. Well, and I guess that's the the other frustrating part about that is for the majority of this series, when things have gotten tough, when it's been the end of games, and you have to execute, you have to out-execute the other team, they have been the ones to do it. And last night was the first night that they were not. Uh, and that's tough because <laughs> yeah, you get so that, close. I mean, <laughs> that's part of the conversation around James. Too. I got a lot of, of you know mentions like, oh, James, big moment disappears. It's like, well, he made two game winners in this series alone, you know? And look, he, he was brutal in games two and three, and we killed him for that. But you can't say he shrunk from the moment when he has two game winners and two 40-point games and wins. But last night, 
he just he didn't seem like he 100% knew how he wanted to attack uh, the paint with Williams there. And part of that comes down to the fact that the people he was kicking the ball out to just were shooting cross-eyed. And it, it's really tough when you can't see the basket. He's got to wear the craziest outfit possible to, to <laughs> yes. Game 7. Yes. He, yeah. uh, what was he wearing last night? I didn't really... I, like I saw him, but it didn't register. He's seemed, still wearing that war hat. It was like a little... You know, he, he went he went back to the well for that one. Yeah. Seems, yeah. Relatively well, conservative for his standards. It wasn't quite crazy enough. What do you think, if you're grading Harden in the series, if I'm going by game here. Oh, God. Like, A plus, F, F, A A plus. Yeah. I would say B, B, B plus. Maybe B plus, honestly. Yeah. And then last night is like a D. Yeah. D minus, you know, pretty I might have gone C minus just because I thought, like, his, I think his strategy could have looked a little bit more effective if anybody had made a shot. But certainly you need a more aggressive Harden at the rim. And one who just doesn't, it's really dribbling the ball out of the air or air out of the ball. That uh, that gets me at times, so. It's got to be nice but, to be Jason Tatum, by the way. Yeah. To be tied yeah. in a series when you're playing like this. Yeah. And to be the hero when you were like four minutes away from being like, not really run out of town, but like emotionally in that moment, talking like you were being run out of town. That's the other thing. If they beat these guys... The psychological damage they could do to them as a franchise. It, I'm not saying like they're gonna break up the Jays. Like Brad Stevens seems a little smarter than that. But man, that would have been ah, uh, would have been great for the Sixers. They would have had to answer all these questions, and Tatum would have been under the microscope. And here's the good news: you win on Sunday. It's the same thing. They're gonna be so. Overheard one of our colleagues last night in the media room just saying, "I just want you guys to have the chaotic offseason talking to a Boston reporter," and it's. It would be nice if just another team had the chaotic offseason. Just not us for once. That would be nice. It would be nice to get that finals run, to experience that, to keep the season alive. Really did not want to head back up to Boston. Really did not want to head back well, up to Boston. Well, it's all about us. And and I got to say, as a reporter, going to three road trips in one series is just, it's just it's cruel and unusual punishment. And not only that, but every time I go up there now, something happens. Like on my way up there for game one, I blew a tire. Then I came back after game two and my, my podcasting mixer wouldn't turn on. That's not great. And then after game four, I, dr- I was walking into the, my house and I dropped my phone and cracked the screen. And now I can't even, screen touch doesn't even work and I have to get that replaced. So I am, it, this, see, this, every time I travel, it's been costing me. So I really did not, you know, Mother's Day, Sunday, did not feel like going back up to Boston. But here we are. We and are. For like, everyone listening to this, Game 7 is much worse for you because your cholesterol is going to be through the freaking roof. But we will we'll find a way to manage. The I, I was, and let's, let's end on this. I was brought up, this was before my time, but I, I know this era of Sixers history. Uh, I think Sielski tweeted this out, that, that Bill Lyon went up to Game 7, I believe it was in 1982, after the Sixers lost Game 5 and Game 6 to the Boston Celtics. And he said, somebody asked, like, why are you going? And he said, because Paul Bear needs to be there to, to witness the death. Or I'm paraphrasing or something like that. And the Sixers that won that the game. the LA game? Yes, it was. And it was Andrew Tony who I really wish would have rang the bell last night. I think that would have been the right choice uh, to do I it. I don't think that would have. I, I think the Sixers would be open to that. I think it's Andrew Tony who's yeah, pretty. He, uh, he just doesn't like the Sixers. Yeah. That's fair. Uh, or whatever. You could do I don't know entirely what's behind that beef, but there's definitely a beef there. It goes back well, many, like many previous iterations of this front front office and ownership and all that. Yeah, 
that's uh, I think it had something to do with how they they treated him medically. I think right, right. like is that uh, whatever? That's that's a long time ago. Uh, I think you're gonna, right. I just don't know the exact details. So they're gonna need Tyrese Maxey or James Harden or Joe Embiid or somebody to uh, to do it again. And if I'm being honest, and I, I was as down on this series starting it as possible. If it wasn't just the weight of this team's recent yeah, history, 100%. I would be much more positive going into yeah. this game and say, like, look, this is like, it might not be a 50-50 shot, but it's pretty damn close. No, and, I, the, the more I've been thinking it through my head, like, my 30-35 might be more like 35-40. I don't think this team is outclassed at all. Not with the way Joel Embiid's defending, not with the way their perimeter defenders are at least holding their own. You need your you need one of your stars to be a star, and I think that's why that double big lineup is so concerning because it really took away from both of the Sixers' two stars. And you need your role players to make a fucking shot. And neither of those are outside of their own possibility. We've seen James Harden be a star twice in this series. We've seen Joel Embiid be a star. We've seen role players make shots. All of that has happened. You just need it to happen on Sunday night. And by the way, I think if you're a Boston fan, you're going like, uh, Tatum's been MIA for most of the series, like our decision-making down a stretch. I don't really trust our coach. I guarantee you somebody is listening to Jared Weiss's podcast right now going like, oh, this fucking team is driving me insane. Why should I trust them? This is part of being a fandom. And you're 100% right. If it was just isolated this year's team, this year's personnel, I don't think we would all be having this existential crisis that we're having now. But we also can't forget what happened in years past. So it's uh, it'll be fun. Yeah, I mean, we'll see if they they get over the hump here. Uh, and this is a great shot for them to really like rewrite the narrative too. Like if you if you're Joel Embiid and you want to be remembered, finish off your MVP season by fucking beating Boston in Game Seven in TD Garden, which is still be called the Boston Garden. I don't like the fact that it's TD Garden, but whatever, at the Garden, and you will have a chance to erase a lot of those previous failures. And th- and that's the beauty of this, right? Like that that Game Six was a disaster it could be considered one of the biggest missed opportunities in history if you win the game and you have the blueprint to do it you just did it in game five you just did it you won by what they win by 13 in game five or something or 12 or something like that that was a 20 point win they they killed them you have the blueprint to do it again like joe can you be the best player on the floor in a big game i i think you can buddy i i do uh so it's uh, it's a but big it's, moment, and look, like if they win this series, you make the Harden shot, the Embiid pass, like you, you make those legendary moments in uh, yeah, in the series. You make Harden's game one step back, a, yep. a legendary moment. So Embiid's uh, chase down block, Embiid's pass out the in game Harden five, the game yeah. winner. Like there's, there's so much good stuff, and yep. I, and I got to give these guys credit. They they really. It sucks that we're doing it after uh, Game Six. They've really done a lot of really good things in this series. I guess sort of like to end it because you you brought up, um, you know, there's a lot of people. Oh well, they came up short in a big moment in Game Six. Well, Game Six was only a big moment because of the big moments they succeeded in that preceded it. There have been a lot of really big moments. They've come up big in some of them. They've come up small in others. What will happen in Game Seven? I don't know. But I still, I, I just see so many people are like, oh, they have no chance. There's no chance they win game seven. This series I, is, I disagree no, it's not. It's, it's not. This is just, this is how stressful playoff battle. You don't win championships usually without a whole lot of freaking stress on the way. Totally. This is what a high level playoff series against 
two good teams is like this is two championship team, contenders. Yeah, you weren't like, you weren't getting out of this unscathed. You weren't getting out of this without some gray hair. It's just not that's not how this works. It's not how this works. The way it works is the other team makes you look bad at times. Yeah. and the Sixers have done that to Boston too. So we will see. Uh, it, it's certainly a, it's a tremendous opportunity for them because man, if they can win this freaking game, yep, yep. <laughs> Good they start. I, they host Miami or New York on uh on when probably Miami on uh on Wednesday. Oh, and that would be nice too, because at least we finally get to stop traveling a little bit. First couple games at home, just just got to win one game. Just win one game. All right, I think we will cut it off there. Thank you, Rich, for jumping on, and we will talk to you soon. See you, man.